Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Please join me in praying. God, I pray that you would now deal bountifully with your servant as he opens your word. And I ask, Lord, that you would deal bountifully with your servants gathered here. Lord, as we hear from you through your word, that we may live and keep your word. Lord, would you open our eyes, Spirit, would you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things in the Word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn in the Word of God to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, It is found on page 956 in the Red Bibles. If you need a Bible, the Red Bibles are back there on the rack near where you entered this morning, page 956, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Speaking in front of people uh, is a scary thing for a lot of reasons, especially if you speak to a group repeatedly and they hear from you repeatedly because inevitably your words give you away. I was thinking about that this week, and I just came to the conclusion that I've been here as your pastor, your interim pastor for preaching for about six months, and you know way more about me than I do about you. And that just doesn't seem fair to me. I mean, I get up here every week, and you know, you're you're probably finding out all kinds of things about me that you maybe didn't even want to know, the the good and the bad and the ugly, because one's words, they, they reveal who you are. You can't help it. You can't help but give yourself away. Certainly true of the Apostle Paul. As you read his letters in the New Testament, 13 letters, biggest chunk of the New Testament, a large chunk of our Bibles was written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You, you learn a lot about the man, Paul, by reading his words. And there are those places, those passages within his body of work where you especially learn who the Apostle Paul was down deep. You start to understand what makes him tick, what made him tick. That's the way one commentator put it about this passage, because I think this is a passage this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that will help us to understand what made the Apostle Paul tick. What did he get fired up about? Where, from, from where was he living? And I thought about that phrase. I read it in a commentary. This passage helps us to understand what made the Apostle Paul tick. And that, that phrase, to make something tick or to make one tick, it's, it, I think it, it, it's a helpful sort of phrase, but I started to think about where did it it come from? And I'm sure it comes from the world of watches and clocks, right? Because you can can see a clock ticking, the, the second hand going around, and you can hear it ticking. And I can imagine when clocks were a little bit more of a luxury and you didn't, people didn't have them and you were curious, you wondered, what makes that thing tick? Well, there's one way to find out, isn't there? It's to open up the back of it and to look inside. And with this particular clock, what makes it tick is one 
ever-ready battery. That is its source of power. That is what's giving this, this, this clock juice. It's what's making it go. I'm going to put this clock down here because I don't want to be bothered by it, so I'm just going to turn it over, okay? Are you everybody good with that? I'll turn it back up. In the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians, we see what energized the Apostle Paul. We see the fuel to his fire. And I'm going to skip right to the chase, and I want to point it out right at the beginning this morning. It's in verse 23. What got the apostle going? What, what fueled his life so that he went all around the Roman Empire, preaching and getting beat up and living under hardship? What fueled him? Verse 23, near the end of it, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That is what is energizing me. That is what is fueling me. And not the gospel as a set of principles. Not the gospel as a nice word to put on a lot of Christian books. But the gospel as reality. The gospel as Paul wrote in Romans as the power of God for salvation to all who believe. That is what fueled him. That is what got him fired up. And this morning, as we get into this passage, I want us to observe two things. Uh, Paul's passion, fueled by the gospel, and Paul's practice. What is it about the gospel that fired Paul up and got him going and energized him? Well, that is his passion. And as a result, what was his practice? How did that fuel his practice of making Christ known? Now, in order to get there, because that is... That is the burden of basically verses 15 to the end of the chapter, and that's the part I want to focus on. But in order to get there this morning, we do need to to briefly summarize the first 14 verses. And I need to remind you that we're in a section of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through the end of chapter 10, even one verse into chapter 11 because the chapter breaks aren't real helpful there. But anyway, three chapters basically where Paul is answering a question to, from the Corinthians that they had written to him about eating uh, meat sacrificed to idols and how to handle that. And, and basically, uh, they're not neutral. They're saying, hey, Paul, we have a right to eat uh, not just food sacrificed to idols that we can buy in the marketplace. He's going to talk about that more in chapter 10. But if you remember from chapter 8, we have the right to go to temples, which people did all the time. It was kind of the restaurant of the day, and eat food sacrificed to idols because we know an idol isn't really a thing, and we know Jesus is the only king, he's the only Lord, he's the only God, and so uh, it's not a problem for us to do that. And if you remember from chapter 8, Paul had to correct them and say, hey guys, many of you are abusing this freedom that you have. Yes, on one hand, an idol is nothing, but if somebody sees you with a weaker, more vulnerable conscience, another believer eating in a temple of an idol... They have an idolatrous background. They could very easily be led right back into idolatry. And you could actually be responsible for destroying the faith of a brother or sister. Now, now with that in mind, Paul, Paul had already written to them, answered that question. Paul writes to them about their freedom and not abusing it. And, and they really, some of these folks, they don't want to hear it. In fact, they're questioning Paul in regard to his, his very apostleship. 
Paul, why do you, you don't have the right to tell us this. We're not even sure you're an apostle because in their world, apostles and, and public speakers, all this wisdom that they would love to hear, when somebody came and spoke that to them, the way they knew that that apostle or that that speaker was really good was by the amount that they charged, right? So President Obama is no longer the sitting president. He's going to be doing some speaking, I'm thinking. And I'm thinking that if you want to get a former president to speak at your graduation or something like that, you got to shell out the cash, right? As opposed, you know, to having a former uh, mayor of Podunk City speak at your graduation. And so the, the whole idea is you get what you pay for. And if you're a great speaker, you ought to be charging a really high rate. And do you know what Paul charged to speak the gospel and to preach the gospel while he was there in Corinth? Zip. He didn't receive anything. In fact, he worked for a living. Not as a, as a, a white-collar person, but he got his hands dirty. You remember what he did? He was a tent maker. He, he was a tradesperson. And that was even more demeaning. And so here you are, Paul. You're, we're not even sure you're an apostle because you won't even be paid anything. Oh, and by the way, you're going to tell us about freedom, Paul? Because you don't even practice what you preach. When you're with Jewish people, oh yeah, your diet's all kosher and everything. But when you're with Gentiles, you eat what's ever put in front of you and you don't even ask whether it was a sacrifice to an idol. Paul, we're really challenging your apostleship and your authority to tell us anything. Okay? So that is the background to chapter 9 and explains why Paul's tone changes quite a bit beginning in chapter 9. So let's just briefly review the first 14 verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 begins, the Apostle Paul, here we go. He's going to launch. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? What answer is he wanting for each one of those questions? Yes, yes, Paul. Yes, you are. If to others I am not an apostle, maybe I'm not an apostle to other people, but at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship. You're my work. You're my body of work. If you want to know whether I'm an apostle, look, there's a church in Corinth through the preaching of the gospel, through me, Paul says. Here's the evidence that I'm an apostle. He's not done. Verse 3, this is my defense to all who would examine or evaluate me. That is evaluate the legitimacy of my apostleship. Do we, Paul speaks, about, speaks in the plural sometimes when he's talking about his apostolic team, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles, the, the brothers of the Lord, perhaps uh, Jude or uh, James and Cephas, that's Peter, other apostles, they get this privilege? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right this is saying it backwards, but this is how he said it, who have no right to refrain from working for a living. <clears throat> In other words, don't we have the right not to work, to be supported by you? Then he gives some examples. Uh, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some milk? Makes sense. You don't ask soldiers to buy their own M16. If somebody owns a vineyard, uh, they don't go to Jewel to get some vino. Paul keeps going. Okay, those are human arguments, Paul says in verse, uh, verse 8. Do I say these things on human authority? Let's turn to God's Word, shall we? 
Does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads the grain. In other words, when the ox is working, it may eat some of the grain that it's helping uh, to, I don't know what they do. I don't know how that works. I grew up in the suburbs. But anyway, <laughs> whatever the ox does, it may, as it's helping to process the grain, it can eat some of the grain. That's Paul's point. But then his greater point is, hey, is, is this written because God is so concerned about animals? Uh, certainly, this is written for our sake, verse 10. Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. And here it is. If we have sown spiritual things, the gospel among you, is it too much to reap material things from you? Certainly, certainly that it's legitimate for us to be paid for the ministry of the gospel among you. If others share this rightful claim on you, you, you pay other guys, other apostle types, do we not even more? I'm going to skip the rest of verse 12 for a second and come back to it. He gives one more example uh, beginning in verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? That would be true in, in Jewish uh, world. That also would be true in the pagan world. The priests get some of the food. We just talked about that. Now, don't, don't they share in the offerings at the altar? Those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Here's the principle. Life verse of many a preacher. In the same way, the Lord commanded those who proclaim the gospel that they should get their living by the gospel. And every preacher said, Amen. <laughs> those who proclaim the gospel as their full-time vocation should should be paid to do that. Paul makes this whole point. I'm a legitimate apostle. You, it's legitimate for me to charge a fee. Now, he makes that whole point in order to make the point about why he doesn't charge a fee. He just established the whole principle. You owe me. I'm worth it. You should be paying me. And now he launches into why he doesn't charge a cent and he would rather die than receive a penny from them. This is, this is crazy stuff. I, gotta, I mean, the Apostle Paul, he's an interesting cat. And so now beginning in verse 15, we're going to see Paul's passion. What was it about the gospel? What was it about the gospel that motivated Paul to make Jesus known? What, what fueled his... What, fueled his passion? What was his motive behind that? First, going back to halfway through verse 12, it's the beginning of a paragraph, makes his point, I could charge you something. Nevertheless, I have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. Now, skip back down to 15. He's going to say it again. But I have not made any use of these rights, now speaking very personally in the first person, nor am I now writing to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this 
of my own will as a free person, I have a reward or I have pay. What if not of my own will? If I do it as a slave, I am trusted with, entrusted with a stewardship, just like a slave would have a stewardship to oversee. What then is my reward? What do I get paid then? Here it is. Here's my pay, Paul says, that in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant or a slave to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, the law of love, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I have become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. And keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What was it that energized Paul? What was it about the gospel that energized Paul? Where did his passion come from? He says in verse 18, my pay is that I don't get paid. And, and, and here's why Paul says that. My pay is that I don't get paid because I want to offer the gospel to you in the very same way that Jesus offered it to me, free of charge. Grace, grace, God's grace. See, that's how the Lord Jesus had come to Paul. Did he deserve to know Christ? No, he persecuted the church. And yet listen to how Paul speaks of his relationship with the Lord Jesus in Galatians. It's, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen to how he puts it in Philippians. This, this passage has come, uh, come up several times. Matt read it for us in the worship last week. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Paul to believers says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. But he emptied himself, he set aside his glory, and he took on the form of a slave. He took on the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
See, this is the winning ingredient. Paul says, I want to win some. I want to win over some folks. I want to win them to Christ. What was it that won Paul to Christ? Is that Jesus became a servant to him. And Jesus served him in the greatest way that any of us could ever be served. He laid down his life. Friends, this is the reality of the gospel. We've used that word several times already this morning, but my burden today is that you understand the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel. That there is a God who made you. And because he made you, you are accountable to him. And that there's none of us who have honored our creator as he deserves. We have all committed spiritual treason against the one who made us who deserves to be honored. And we have, with Frank Sinatra, said, I'm going to do it my way. And that puts every human being under the condemnation of death and eternal destruction and God's wrath. Because God is just. But God is also merciful. He is filled with that reality of that word that we've sung so many times this morning. Grace. Grace. And so he sent his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who became one of us, who took on flesh and did what we have never been able to do. He lived in perfect communion with his creator and was obedient to him. And as we just read, he was obedient to the point of death on a cross. He was executed on a Roman cross. He died. His blood flowed. But that blood flowing was more than sufficient to wipe clean all of our sin and all of our rebellion. And because God accepted Jesus' death as payment in full for the sins of humanity, to show that he approved of that, God raised him from the dead, gave him new life. And then the Lord Jesus was ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he reigns as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he speaks this message now to you. He says, be reconciled to me. And my burden this morning is that if you have not been reconciled to God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you come to him. That, that you repent of your sin, that you repudiate your rebellion against him, and that you look to the Lord Jesus Christ and you understand that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no guesswork in it. There's no playing the percentages if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you stop trusting in yourself and what you can do, and if you ask God to forgive you based on the merits of Jesus Christ, understanding you have no righteousness of your own, but you need the righteousness of another, that God will not turn you away. He will forgive you. He will make you a new creation. He will fill you with your, His Holy Spirit. He will give you a hope and a future. 
So before we go any further talking about this gospel, this good news, that is it. And there is a response that God is asking for. It is be reconciled to Him. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Paul's burden. He knew he had been so wonderfully served by the Lord Jesus Christ that his Savior spilled his blood to make him free, to make him whole, and to give him a calling, an apostleship, to send him to speak the gospel to others, to share Jesus with others. Paul said, that is what I glory in. He uses that word boast. And when we think of boasting, we think about bragging about ourselves. But Paul uses that term uh, boast in verse 15. And, and for Paul, boasting is glorying in something. And what Paul gloried in was, was the freeness of the gospel. That, that you didn't have to clean yourself up to get right with God. That you didn't have to go through a bunch of religious uh, exercises to get yourself right to God. That God wasn't going to wait until you performed a bunch of stuff. But the offer of salvation was free to all who would receive it. Paul loved that. Paul gloried in that. And so when he made Christ known, he wanted the way that he made Christ known, free of charge, not charging anything, to be a reflection of the reality of the offer of the gospel. He gloried in the free nature of the gospel. That was Paul's motive. That is what energized him about the gospel to make it known. I'm just going to briefly mention two other aspects of the gospel. That's the big one, glorying in the free nature of the gospel. But Paul also was motivated by the sharing of the blessings or the benefits of the gospel. Just look at verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. I may share in the blessings of the gospel, forgiveness, healing, wholeness, a hope, a future. All of these things come to us through Jesus Christ, through the good news of the gospel. Paul said, I want to share in it. Think about how you feel when you want to give somebody a gift, somebody a really special gift. You, you, you took a lot of time picking it out. You know they're going to love it. You know, do you, do you go to the door and sort of do the ding-dong, ditch-it thing, drop the gift, hit the doorbell, and run? No, you want to be there. You want to be there when they open up that gift. You want to see their face. You want to share in their joy. And Paul said, I want to share in the joy of those who come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I want to be there when they're transformed. And thirdly, another aspect of Paul's passion, his motive in sharing the gospel was the anticipating of the unending celebration of the gospel. At the end, Paul, at the end of this passage, Paul begins to think forward to, to the end. And in verse uh, 26, he says, you know, runners run and they get this perishable wreath, but I want to run in such a way to get a wreath that is imperishable. That word imperishable is going to come up again at the end of First um, Corinthians in chapter 15, where Paul is going to talk about the resurrection and say that, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But I tell you a mystery. We shall all 
We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, when the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body, amen, this body is perishable, it gets beat up, it gets broken down. For the perishable body must put on imperishability. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, O death, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? There's going to be a day when we're going to put on the imperishable. And I long for that day, Paul says. I'm anticipating that day. And so I love to share the gospel. I love to make Jesus known. Now, I think we have to ask ourselves a question at this point. And the question is, does this apply to us? Because I think you'll agree with me that Paul was a legitimate apostle and that Jesus had specifically called him and sent him out. That's what the word uh, apostolos, apostle, means. It's a sent one, had sent him out to make Jesus known. Now, you might say, well, this is all well and fine for the apostle Paul, but I'm not quite sure I'm in that category. I think we only need to look to our Savior and listen to our Savior to answer this question. First, listening to Jesus' words, the last words he said while he was here on earth. Uh, Jeff was alluding to them when he was talking about discipleship. His command to the church through the apostles, the foundation of the church, was to go. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all to observe all that I've commanded you. And, and lo, <laughs> hey, get this, listen up. I'm with you to the very end of the age. That's for all of us. Go and make disciples who make disciples. So listen and then look to Jesus to answer that question. Jesus was a servant, not only to the, the Apostle Paul, but if you are one of his followers, if he has done that life-transforming work in you, if you have been forgiven and made whole, then you know that Jesus came and humbled himself and became a servant for you. He has so well served you. Everything that Paul said about himself, I've been crucified, you can put in your name. You have been crucified with Christ, and therefore you no longer live, but as Christ who lives in you, the life that you live in the body, you now live for Jesus because he loved you and gave himself for you. He was a servant to you. And so our motivation, is that a guilt motivation? Hey, you got to do this for Jesus because he did that for you? It ought not to be. It ought to be a gratitude motivation. Now, we can't pay Jesus back, but we love him for what he's done for us. And so, out of gratitude, we obey him. And out of gratitude, we pour out our lives. We are servants unto others for the sake of the gospel, for their eternal joy, that they might know Jesus. And so, yes, this is for us. And so, what, we want, what, what we're understanding this morning uh, doesn't just apply to the Apostle Paul then, it applies to all of God's people today. Namely that those of us who know the joy of being served by the Savior gladly serve others the good news of the Savior. If you have been so served by the Savior, 
then you gladly serve others the good news of the Savior. Put a little bit shorter, a passion for the gospel fuels our practice of sharing the gospel. I know sharing the gospel, making Christ known, I hesitate to say the E word, evangelism, can kind of freak us out. There's like 5% of us who get really excited about it. Those are the 5% of people who have the gift of evangelism. And they're like, why are you not preaching this message every Sunday? But for the rest of us, sharing the gospel, making Christ known, uh, can be scary, it can be daunting, it can be a thing that we're guilty about. But this morning, I want to point us to God's Word, and I want to remove the guilt motivation. And I want to point you to the gratitude motivation. Jesus has so served us so well. If you love Jesus... If you love hearing the good news again and again, then, then your practice and my practice ought to be laying down our lives and serving others for the sake of the gospel. So let's observe Paul's practice, four aspects of Paul's practice this morning, and think about how this can inform our practice of making Christ known. First thing I want us to notice about Paul's practice of making Christ known was his empathy. He served others as Christ had served, had, had served him by being empathetic. Verse 12 and a half, the end of verse 12. Uh, Paul says, we don't make use of this right, but instead we endure anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. He was empathetic. He put himself in the place. He remembered what it was like to be separated from Christ, and he didn't want there to be any obstacle between someone who didn't know Jesus and them hearing the gospel and responding to it so far as it depended upon him. He put himself in their shoes. I think we can learn from that because too often uh, as Christians, we, we lock ourselves up in what a friend of mine, David Sunday, calls uh, the castle of Christendom. We're in our nice castle of Christendom, enjoying our fellowship with one another, and we want people to come to, to Jesus. We want people to, to, to trust in him and know the, the joy and the forgiveness and, and fellowship. And so we're sitting in the, the, the castle of Christendom, and we're poking our heads out the window saying, hey, guys, come on. It's really great in here. Come over. Come over and come where we are. Come over here. And we forget that there's a moat around the castle. And there's a bridge over that, that moat, but that bridge has some obstacles in it, it has some potholes, and it has some hurdles. And what we need to do is come out of Christendom Castle and, and meet some folks out on the bridge and, and move some stuff to the side to help them get there. Several weeks ago, uh, some family members invited I and, and, and some of our kids to uh, attend a, a birthday celebration and a college football game uh, several hours away. Well, you can imagine it's not hard to get, convince me to go watch a college football game, especially if my favorite team is involved. Uh, but just knowing this, these particular family uh, who don't know Christ, to my knowledge, and are coming from a very different worldview, uh, very different connections, very different relationships, uh, we knew we were going to be very much fish out of water. We were going to be with people with, with 
understandings of reality from, from God to eternity to sexuality that were very different from ours and, and living some different alternative types of lifestyles. Um, but we also knew that there's not much gospel witness in their lives. And so we went. And it was near the end of our time together, near the end of the birthday celebration, one of my family members came up to me and he said, he kind of stumbled around it, but basically what he said, in not so many words, was, thank you for coming. I, you know, I'm really glad you came and you, you, bought, you brought some of your, your kids with you. And I can sort of, he stumbled here, I can imagine that not, this isn't kind of your thing. <laughs> it's like he knows where we're at and he knows, and I said, you know, I appreciate you saying that. We, we, of course we came. We, we love you guys. Um, no, there's lots of things here that we don't, that are not what we agree with. But we believe that all people are created in God's image and have dignity. And so we wanted to be here with you and we wanted to share in, in this time. Now, did I get the whole gospel out in that conversation? I didn't. But you know what? Paul said, hey, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. We need to risk some things. We need to go where people are. Get out of Christendom Castle. Have empathy. Put ourselves... Will, we be, will there be plenty to be offended by? Oh, yeah. But how much has Jesus put up with from us? Second aspect of Paul's practice was urgency. I think you get the understanding Paul had an urgency about the gospel, that this message could not wait. I need to get the good news of Jesus Christ to people. Look at the end of verse 16. Now, verse 16 says, If I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity, necessity or, or constraint or, or compulsion is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. This message can't wait. Uh, there, there's an aspect of, of being we're constrained to be obedient. The Lord Jesus has called us, go, make disciples. There's a constraint there. We, we need to be obedient to the Savior. But I think there's another constraint. And it appears in verse 22. Paul talks about wanting to win some. I want to win some to the gospel. Now, first of all, if you're like me, little confession here, and you believe that the Bible teaches clearly the sovereignty of God in salvation, that, that the, ultimate, the ultimate energizing factor, the ultimate factor in someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ is a work of God, you might look at Paul saying, I want to win. I want to win. I want to win people and say, Paul, did you not read some of the other things you've said about you know, God's role in this? And I believe that Paul did. And I believe that Paul believed in the sovereignty of God and salvation way more than anybody in this room. But that's not what he's focusing on in this passage. And I think we need to hear this passage for its, its own worth. We have a responsibility, so far as it depends on us, to win over people. I mean, it's the gospel that, that ultimately is the winning factor. It's the gospel that is ultimately uh, attractive. We're not, we're not simply salespeople, but we want, to, we want to win people over to Christ. 
And Paul's expectations are not that he's going to that he's going to be successful in it every time. I want to win some. That I might win these folks and that I might win those folks, but I'm going to keep on doing what God has called me to do that some might be won over to faith in Jesus Christ. And I think part of that, a big part of that urgency is at the end of verse, is at the end of verse 16, I'm sorry, is at the end of verse 22. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I think we have to remember what it is people, all people need to be saved from. That every person stands condemned under the wrath of God. That the the default eternal destiny of every human being because of our rebellion is hell. It is eternity apart from the goodness of God forever and ever. And whatever the images of Bible in the Bible of flames of fire in hell mean, if those flames aren't literal, they're much more, much worse than literal flames of fire. Because fire probably only gives us an image of it. And we need to be reminded of that with hushed tones and tears in our eyes in such a way that we would, we would never use the word hell other than to describe an awful, awful place. Sometimes you hear the students say, oh, that was a test from hell, or somebody say, that was a commute from hell, folks, Hell way, way worse than some momentary difficulty we have ever experienced. And so there ought to be an urgency to do whatever we're able to do. If you ran into a a burning building because it was on fire and you wanted to get the people out of there, uh, you know, you... If you came into the first room and you saw a couple people huddled there, you probably wouldn't go up to the third floor to see if you could find some other people. You would start with those who are near you, right? Well, think of it that way in terms of our making Christ known and sharing the gospel. Start with the people who are near you. You don't have to go over there or over here to find someone. There are people in your life who need Christ. There are people in your life who will suffer eternal destruction apart from Jesus. Let's have urgency and let's begin with those who are right in front of us. Paul's third characteristic here in making Christ known is flexibility, or if you prefer, adaptability. We have a one-size-fits-all Savior. He is a Savior for all kinds of people. Uh, but, we, but there doesn't need to be a one-size-fits-all approach. In my neighborhood, I have discovered that my neighbors are very different. Uh, I, have a, I have a real easy time going to spend time with this one neighbor over here uh, because we're about the same age, we're both married, we have kids about the same age. He likes basketball, so we talk basketball. Our kids play basketball in the driveway. So I've been able to talk to spiritual things with him fairly easily. Uh, 
But then there's a neighbor over here. We don't have a lot in common. He's a single guy, and he's a chef at a casino. I don't gamble, I don't gamble <laughs> and I can't make a salad without burning it. So we have very little in common. But you just ask him questions about being a chef. Oh, yeah, you're, you're learning to be a master chef or something. Do you have to do the stuff like they do on TV on those shows? Well, kind of, and it's timed. And talk, I'm not going to talk about basketball with him. He doesn't care about it. There's my neighbor across the street that way. He's from Ethiopia. And uh, it was Easter time last year, and we were both getting the mail at about the same time, so we said hi to each other and just started talking. And I didn't talk to him about basketball, and I didn't talk to him about um, chefing or cooking food or whatever that is. <laughs> but it was Easter, and he's from Ethiopia. And I thought, I bet he's a Coptic Christian, or that's his background. So I, I asked him, I said, well, it, hey, happy Easter, because it was Easter weekend. I said, but are you Coptic? Yeah, I am Coptic. Well, when do you, do you celebrate Easter now? Oh, no, we celebrate Easter later. And there are opportunities, folks, all around us. That's what my neighbors are. And folks, I do not do a good job of this. I need this message today really, really bad. But what are your neighbors into? Can, can you adapt and can you get into their world? What is, your, what is your community into? I noticed that in October in Sycamore, people come out and worship pumpkins or something. I mean... What does that mean for reaching out with the gospel for this church? Well, this past uh, October, it meant serving the uh, law enforcement community and their families and loving them. Uh, what could it mean in the future? If you don't live in, in Sycamore, what are they into in DeKalb or in Waterman or in Genoa? We're very good at looking at Scripture and, and exegeting it and pulling it apart so that we can understand it. We ought to be doing the same thing with the culture around us. Do we know how to exegete culture, to look at, at the patterns and the rhythms of the people in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and draw some conclusions, and then think through how we could more easily get the gospel to them so there's no, no unnecessary obstacle. Only obstacle should be the offense of the gospel itself. Finally, I think we can learn from the priority Paul places in sharing the gospel and making Christ known, and with this, we will close. That, that last section, verses 24 through 27, it's a rich section. It certainly is, there's plenty there to be a sermon all in its own. Perhaps, uh, perhaps I could still do that in the weeks to come, but the, the, the image is from Olympic-type games, a running of a race, Now, which was an image that the folks in Corinth would have latched totally onto because uh, second only to the Olympic Games in their area were the Isthmus Games, which were sponsored by the city of Corinth, happened just outside of Corinth every two years. Paul was in Corinth for two and a half, three years, so he would have overlapped with at least uh, one of those uh, games. And, and Paul points to the, the competition, and they had, they had competition, they had um, they had fighting, they had uh, boxing, I should say, they had wrestling, uh, they even had artistic competitions, and then they had the sort of traditional uh, track and field, discus and, and javelin, and the running of races. And Paul points to an athlete and says, listen, an athlete clears everything out of his or her schedule, uh, clears everything out of his or her diet that isn't necessary. It makes training and competing in the games an absolute priority. Now, they do it for 
you know, a crown or a, a wreath that's going to fade. And even after the wreath fades, so does the glory. How many of you can, can name three people who won a gold medal this past Olympic, Olympics? How about the Olympics before that? The glory fades. And Paul says, we do this for a prize that is imperishable, for the, the hope of future glory that will never pass away. And Paul says, I, I, I discipline my body. It's such a graphic term. It literally means I give myself a black eye. And I, and I don't, I'm not doing it. I'm not flailing about. I'm not shadow boxing. I'm getting in the ring. This is an image. Paul isn't talking about doing something to our bodies physically. He's, he's talking about the disciplines of life, rhythms of life, cutting things out that don't matter. Have we ordered our lives in such a way to make, for making Christ known a priority? I know we're busy. We're all busy. Our lives are filled. Might, might I suggest doubling down? Double down on this one. Look at the places where, where you already live, the, the hobbies that you're involved in, the sports that your kids are involved in, the activities that you do that, that you like to be involved in. Make those not just for your fun or gratification. Look for opportunities to make Christ known to other people involved in those areas. It certainly makes life and sharing the gospel much more natural. Paul said, I don't want to be disqualified. This is the Apostle Paul talking. That after... after I've preached the gospel and I've made Jesus known to other people that I don't want to be disqualified. That I want to finish the race. That I want to fight the good fight. Let me close with this. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, now understanding that his time is winding down, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, using the same word about training, this word, has this word agonizum. It's this word agonizomai. It has the word agony in it. It means striving as an athlete. I have, I have striven as an athlete. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown, not one that will fade away, but a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. On that day, and not only me, Paul says, but, but all who have loved his appearing. I love that uh, quote from Martin Luther, that he had two days on his calendar. Today and that day. And everything I do today, I do in light of that day. Everything I do today, I do in light of finishing the race. Friends, we have been so wonderfully served by our Savior who came and humbled himself, became a slave, became obedient to death on the cross. All for the joy, the writer to Hebrews says, all for the joy that was set before it. He did it willingly for the joy that was set before him, for our eternal joy. And now we have the great privilege of serving others, of being spent, of laying down our lives for their eternal joy. May it be true in my life. May it be true in your life, and may it be true ever increasingly in the life of this body of Christ. Amen?
Amen. We pray. Heavenly Father, when we look at the cross, when we survey it, the place where the Prince of Glory died, we are humbled and our hearts swell up with gratitude. Lord, we pray that to the extent that we have not been passionate to make Christ known, where we've not been empathetic with those who don't know you, where we've not realized the urgency of the need, where we've been inflexible, where we've had our priorities messed up. Lord, we pray that you'd forgive us. We pray that you'd cleanse us through Jesus, and that you'd renew us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd give us a, a renewed vision Help us to see the folks in our lives. There are, there are people in each one of our lives who need Jesus. Lord, help us to have an attitude of removing obstacles before them. Help us to have an attitude of loving them in the name of Jesus. Help us to love them so much that we want to make Christ known to them and that we follow through on that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible.org.